Hey there, it's Phil Harwood. Just want to take a quick minute before we begin today's podcast episode and talk to you about our live and in-person events. We had three events scheduled for 2021. We've already had two of them. Our Inner Circle, sponsored by VentTrack event, was very well attended and was a great event. And uh, just recently, we had our Forum for Sales event, sponsored by SnowX, sold out. Uh, We had a great event there as well. We have one more event coming up. It's called Grounds in Institutional Management. It's really focused on site um, issues, operations, engineering, equipment, everything having to do with with running a snow event and planning for events. This is going to be September 8th and 9th at Milton Cat in Milford, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. So we hope to see you there. Registration is open right now at snowfightersinstitute.com. Welcome to the Snowfighters Institute podcast where we hear directly from some of the most interesting people in the professional snow and ice management industry, to learn about their successes, to hear about the challenges they faced along the way, and to have their perspective on critical issues facing our industry today. I'm your host, Phil Harwood. Before I introduce today's special guest, I'd like to invite you to follow our social media feeds And check out our upcoming events at snowfightersinstitute.com. All right, Neil, it's always good to catch up with you, brother. You're a a hard man to pin down. You're all over the place. Um, You know, um, you always have been. Uh, Maybe you were held down for a day or two during the pandemic, but you're, you're back in action. I know that. Um, cause not only are you helping with grow the bench things and snow fighters, um, things, but you have your own consulting and speaking. And I know there's all kinds of, uh, events coming up now that, that you're involved in. So it's just good to catch up with you and see what's going on. I want to talk a little bit about the industry today. Um, and I want also want to talk about, just do a little recap, you know, it's halfway through the year here, uh, 2021, just to kind of talk about where we're at. Um, talk a little bit about some snow fighters things. This is the snow fighters Institute podcast. So we'll talk about some snow fighters events and, and just kind of catch up with each other. So, um, how you doing, man? Good, man. Never, never, uh, too busy to hop on a podcast or have a conversation with someone. So, uh, yeah, everybody tells me I'm super busy and I just don't feel it, but maybe that's, (laughs) that's me. So, uh, it's great. Um, but yeah, it is nice to start traveling again and, uh, get back to in-person events and we've had a few great ones already and um super super good to see people in person again for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um well let's let's go backward a little bit here and then we'll we'll catch up with we'll bring up bring us up to current. Um so we we acquired Snowfighters in January of 2020 before worst the possible, pandemic. Worst possible time to buy an events company ever for in sure. person events and then everything gets canceled. So yeah. Great yeah. Jo- great job there, Neil. Whose idea was that? <laughs> I'll tell you, John John Allen is is probably the luckiest person ever when it comes to timing <laughs> company uh, sales. So, yeah. Uh, but right. yeah, the Midas touch. That's right. But we rolled with the punches, and and uh, now eighteen months later, we're back to in person stuff, which is great. So, 
Yeah, we actually um, found some valuable things to do, I think, in, in 2020. You know, we, we started this podcast, and this has been very successful. I've got great feedback from lots of people on the podcast. And, you know, in addition to that, we did some some uh, online events, um, some workshops. Uh, some of those were successful, and some weren't so successful. But, you know, there's a lesson there, and I think you just have to be not afraid to fail in business. And I think a lot of people are really tentative to try things. And, and I'm just, I don't know how you feel, Neil. Well, I know how you feel because we, we made those decisions together. Sometimes you just got to go for it, right? Uh, If if you're afraid of something not working, then you're just never going to take action. And, um, I, you know, I see this all the time with sales and, and I'm coaching people on how to make calls and they say, well, what if they answer the phone or what if they don't answer the phone or what if they say that if what they say, like, whoa, just, just dial the damn phone number, man. Like we'll take it one step at a time and maybe they'll tell you no, but you definitely won't get the sale running through every what if scenario before we even start. And so, you know, you, you can't ever be afraid that something won't work. You got to give it the best possible shot. You can, you got to work your butt off and do all your due diligence but then if it doesn't work out, you just pivot and try something else. And we're still fine. We still have very successful businesses, you know, and um, it's it's never a problem. The, the Where you run into a lot of trouble is when you don't even try things. Yeah, I think the key there is is to listen and get feedback and adjust, you know, yeah. and if, if people are telling you, hey, this isn't what I want or I didn't ask for this or or I need something else, well, that's fine. And people vote with their feet, right? So if we have an event and nobody shows up, <laughs> which we haven't had yet, but that happened. But, um, you know, some of those online workshops, you know, we, we tried some different timing. The, maybe the timing of some of them wasn't all that perfect, but we had one that was just killer. And, I, you know, we, we honestly haven't talked about it for a while, but we should really get that back on the on the drawing board for next year. That was the the winter boot camp and and snow season boot camp and it was so successful we did it two more times. So we sold out the first one, we sold out the second one, we did it a third time. Um and uh you know I think we should definitely do that again this fall. And uh the same thing, you know, we sold out the the sales forum that we did over at um uh, Snowex's facility and uh so successful that we're going to be having it again next summer too so sometimes you find what works and you just double down and um yeah so that's you know it's always it's always a process but uh i think we've learned so much from what you know how to be successful at creating events and adding value to people um we've learned the hard way and and now our events are are just beloved by the people who have attended yeah, we've had incredible feedback on those two. So I'll, I'll come back to those here in a minute. I want to um, talk to you a little bit about just some of the adjustments that you had to make with your business. I know you're, you have a lot of coaching clients and, and you're involved in some other things too, some philanthropic endeavors. And, you know, how did last year change things for you? And are you kind of back to normal or, or is there a new normal, as they say? Um. Yeah, I, I guess a little of both. Uh, so um, I had a lot of plans to do stuff in person and, and a lot of it got moved virtual. And uh, some of the virtual is good and we're keeping that the same, right? So I wasn't doing very much video coaching before. It was mostly phone calls. 
turns out the video coaching is a lot better than the, the phone calls. And so we're keeping that. Um, I had to do some workshops virtually and they were okay, but, but the in-person is much better. And we're back to the in-person now um, that travel restrictions have lifted. So um, great to do those in person and then follow up virtually. Um, you know, I uh, was planning to run the Chicago marathon last year for charity that got delayed. Um, and uh, I wasn't going to attempt a virtual marathon. It's tough enough to run an actual marathon, but I, I don't with, even know what that is with no, <laughs> uh, there were guys in New York city who would do a thousand loops on their rooftop and stuff. And I'm just like, no way. One time uh, I ran a uh, hundred and sixty some loops at a YMCA and like a sixteenth mile track, and uh, it was only nine miles. And I, I was like, I, I, yeah, running is, is is bad enough. So uh, right. I like the crowd. I like the water stops. Um, so, um, but back to normal. Going to be running uh, Chicago uh, twenty twenty one. Um, we're uh, raising hopefully ten thousand uh, dollars minimum in support for uh, World Vision, who provides clean water. And um, you know, I was just talking with one of the guys who attended one of the Snowfires events this morning, and we were talking about my running because I, I brought it up, and um, I was just like, "Yeah, man, you know, we're there's today a thousand kids under the age of five are going to die in the developing world because they don't have clean water." And $50 is all it takes to provide clean water for somebody. And this is a problem that we can solve in this generation. And it was just this moment. And I was like, it's kind of way more important than what we do pretty much every day, isn't it? And he was like, it absolutely is. You know, he's like, send me the link. I want to donate. I want to support you. He's like, and, and I want to tell, I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to teach my kids about how lucky they are to, that they can drink out of the faucet. He goes, cause we forget. And so um, it was just a really cool moment where it's like, you know what? Um, every day we're showing up, we're putting out content, we're trying to help each other in business. But when we're successful at that, then we're blessed enough to be able to help other people too. And so, um, you know, for me, that's, that's great to get back to. Um, I've been, there's other, uh, uh, charity initiatives that I work towards. And um, some people will know that for years I've been working with people in Madagascar trying to build businesses mm-hmm. and, and, and poverty. And, you know, we, we had to postpone all of our trips there and, and probably won't be able to get back for another six to 12 months. And um, they're hurting over there too, right? They've only got a hundred thousand vaccines for 25 million people so far. So wow. um, yeah, in a lot of ways uh, things won't get back to normal. Um, in a lot of ways we're, we're, you know, jumping at the bit to get things back to normal and, mm-hmm. um, just doing whatever we can in the meantime, but, uh, there's still, there's still a lot of improvements we can make in business and in life and, and for other people, uh, you know, even when we have to be virtual. Yeah, for sure. If someone's interested in donating to the cause there for world vision, which is a great organization, by the way, where, where, how would they do that? Neil, uh, you can go to my website, neilglatt.com click on uh, the philanthropy tab and uh, there's a link there. Um, Or if you're connected with me on Facebook or LinkedIn, you'll probably see me posting several times a week about it. If you're not connected with me on Facebook or LinkedIn, connect with me on Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, (laughs) For sure. Same here. We'd love to connect with you. 
uh, definitely love to connect with you and, and uh, that information's out there. And uh, of course you can always reach out to us on the Snowfighters website or, or phone number and uh, point you in the right direction and really, really appreciate you uh, considering helping somebody in the developing world get clean water who will die without it. Yeah, for sure. No, that's great. Um, I, 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 I was, I was re- <laughs> reading about marathoning um, the other day and, and uh, I saw the best quote ever, which is any idiot can run, but it takes a special kind of idiot to run a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, that, that's a great leading. Cause I was just going to ask you like, what is going on here? Like it's, it's so stupid. And, and you know, I don't know officially, but I'm pretty confident I'm the fattest guy ever to finish the Boston Marathon officially. Um, totally not a runner. But you did finish. But I did finish twice. And uh, the only thing that legitimizes this stupid effort is that we're, we're helping people. And yeah. so um, that's got to be the thing that just keeps you going when there's in the crowd. You've talked about the crowd, but just, I mean, I can't even imagine because I've, I've run a lot in my life and I, and I enjoy running, but. I've never ran more than, you know, a half. Yeah. And, and that's a long way. 13 miles is a long way to run. And it's mental. And that's that's what I do every every Saturday from here on out is 13 or more. Um, and it's just me by myself. And and what my I hire a coach for everything in my life. And uh the same is true of marathoning. So I hired a marathon coach when I started to run. And the very first time we went out, uh, he looked at me, he says, you know, this is gonna change your life. And I was like, ah, I don't know about that. Like, it's going to be a big investment in time and energy. And I think yeah, I'll get more statement. physically fit, but yeah, change your life is pretty, and, and he was right. Um, and, uh, you know, through marathoning, I learned the determination, but I also learned um, a lot about generosity and selflessness and deferred gratification. And, and what he told me was, you know, you've taken the ability to run, uh, for granted for your entire life. And a lot of people don't have that ability. And he goes, every time you're on a run, I want you to think about all the people who will never have the opportunity to run again. And, and you thank God that you can do this and you don't, powerful. you don't waste it. And so, um, when I signed up, my, my fiance's mom asked me, she goes, why, why are you doing this? Cause all you ever do is complain for eight months when you're training, you know? And, and I was like, coach told me, I can't take it for granted. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not going to do it and I'm not going to do it for good, then I'm just not realizing some of my potential in life. And that's not good enough. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's what it is for me. And that's not even the charity motivation motivation. That's something totally different. So now you got a few different things helping you along there. Yeah. And that's, that's what I do. You know, when, when I'm on a run and, and my legs hurt and I don't want to stop, or I I don't want to keep going. I want to stop. You know, I, I close my eyes and I visualize, um, you know, my mom 10 years ago before she died, when she had uh, part of her leg amputated and, and her inability to run, I visualize my fiance who's permanently in a wheelchair and her inability to run. I, I visualize now literally a thousand kids from all over Africa and the developing world lined up and imagine that I'm running to save their lives because that's, that's what I'm doing. And, um, one mile at a time, that's the only way I keep going. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I know you were also on top of everything else you were planning on jumping into an MBA program. Yep. Um, where does that, where do you stand with that, Neil? 
Uh, so yeah, in about a month, uh, I'll be headed over to uh, Paris to kick off my MBA program. Um, really optimistic I can get there. Uh, fortunately, it's it's um, I'm, I'm there on an educational visa, and uh, so I, I can skirt around some of the you know tourist restrictions for travel to Europe. So um, I'll be taking a couple of weeks and head to Europe and. Uh, uh, starting that program, and that'll continue for about 18 months, um, mostly virtually, but we'll have a week in Paris, a week in North Carolina, a week in uh, Shanghai, China, and a week in Belo Horizonte, Brazil, uh, over 18 months. And yeah, um, cool. super excited to just continue my education, my my learning, my networking. And, um, you know, every time I learn something, I'm able to turn around and, and share it with uh, all kinds of business owners. So um, always excited to keep leveling up and, and improving my own game to help other people. Yeah. I, I give you a lot of credit for doing that. Um, I know it's tough cause it's on top of everything else you got going on. But um, I know for me, when I went through, you know, I went through Michigan state's executive MBA program and I was an older student, you know, I was in my um, mid forties um, probably the average age was, you know, 32 or, you know, early thirties in, in the cohort, um, when I went through, through the MBA program, but, um, it was a great experience, it really opened my eyes to some real deep, significant things in business and, um, just expanded my horizons in a way that I never thought possible. And going through the program really changed my business at the time I was part owner of a business while I was going through that program and everything I was learning, we were plugging in almost in real time, making big changes in the business. And we're working with an outside consultant who was phenomenal, who some of you may have heard of. His name's Gino Wickman, <laughs> wrote a little book called Traction, which I think is a major bestseller these days. But it was a great experience. You're, it's going to blow your mind, Neil. You're going to be so glad you did it. And, um, and I just, I fully agree and appreciate the desire to keep bettering yourself, get, you know, equip yourself with more resources. And I'm just, I mean, that's been a common theme, I think in both of our lives and, uh, something I've, I've really encouraged people to do in their, you know, business owners and the leadership teams that I work with. I'm always challenging people like what's next, what are you doing? What, how are you staying sharp? Like if you're not doing something, if in my mind, if you're not doing something to move yourself forward, like you're probably atrophying, like you're going backward because you're going to lose whatever, whatever you knew five years ago, like it's gone, like unless you're applying it, like you don't, you don't know that anymore. Yeah. (laughs) They're learning something new. And, and, you know, you got to pick who you're learning from, but, uh, you know, my, my MBA program overhauled the curriculum in the light, in light of COVID. Right. And so my first week in Paris is all about a dynamic, uh, business, global business environment. And that wasn't part of the conversation before, right? It more focused on nationalism and international politics and stuff. And, and so, um, you know, sometimes the same people can offer a different experience because they're learning and evolving. Um, and, and I think you're right. In, in today's world, uh, it changes so fast that what you learned five years ago isn't even often relevant anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Well, let's apply that to the snow industry. Um, and, um, you know, one of the things that I, and I, I want your perspective on this, you know, I obviously we're in the, in the middle of a very serious labor shortage situation. Um, we also have some really serious equipment, 
supply chain issues that are happening. I haven't heard too much about materials. I'm curious if you've, if you've heard of any bottlenecks with, you know, getting salt or any other materials or liquids or anything. I, I really haven't heard too much about it, but I just wanted to chew on these topics a little bit to kind of the state of the industry and what, what some of the things that you're working with your clients on. And um, maybe I'll jump in there as well. So um, where do you want to start? Labor? Uh, Labor is primarily what I talk for about. Sure. Go yeah. for it. Uh, it's, uh, it, I don't need to tell anybody. It's historically bad. Um, what I am concerned about is that some people seem to think that uh, come September, it's going to get fixed because the bonus benefits for unemployment go away from the federal government. And, uh, you know, the numbers just don't add up to me, Phil, right? So we've got um, 9 million people on unemployment. We've got 5 million open jobs. And so what you think is, okay, 4 million or so people will just, you know, be okay. And, and we can get back to it because we're going to have this, this surplus of jobs. But the there's this idea of fully employed, right? Enough people for jobs and jobs for people. And in any economy, there's always a percentage of people on unemployment. And so if you look at the lowest number of unemployment ever, it was like two and change percent back um, coming out of uh, World War II. And um, that was largely artificial. And so our economists will argue what fully employed is, but it's around 4% unemployment. And so that means there's not going to be enough people for jobs, right? Because you may have, you may have uh, people for jobs in Philadelphia, but you don't in California or vice versa, right? And so there's these other factors where it can't just shake out. And then there's people who are going to be changing their role. And by the way, people are quitting their jobs faster than they ever have in history. Last month, 4 million people quit their jobs. I read that. That's crazy. That's like 3% of the, of the workforce, yeah, right? People are moving around because they can. They can. Everyone's and, hiring. Everyone's yeah. trying to poach employees. So right. whoever's not happy, they're gone. So I, I know we were talking about um, uh, uh, labor in terms of hiring, but I'm telling my clients who I'm coaching on sales, you better have some ser serious sales urgency right now. Because there's if you're talking to somebody for three months, there's a one in 10 chance they're going to land another job. One in 10. That's true. <laughs> it's craziness over so three months. So you're talking about your, your prospect won't be there. Your prospect won't be there, <laughs> so right? You better and, lock them in. And and I've had this happen where I'm, I'm selling somebody, I, there's positive momentum, I'm getting good buying signals, I think it's going to close, and then they leave, and I definitely don't get the deal. Because nobody ever comes in and is like, oh, the old guy was about to sign with you? Yeah, we'll just go ahead and sign with you. Right. They stop everything. They go renew with the old guy. They bring in their favorite. Whatever happens, it's definitely not you. Now, if you're signed, you're signed, right? And so um, I'm just, I'm really nervous about that for the people who are out there selling every day. Um, I think that people leaving their jobs creates a good opportunity if you have a great workplace, but you got to be doing everything right. You got to be offering a, a living wage where somebody can afford to survive you got to have uh, a promise of a future for them where they can grow and uh, they, you know, they don't get the sense that you may potentially go out of business if it doesn't snow. You got to provide good working conditions for them. And in the snow industry, I think that means making available PPE and jackets and boots and hats and gloves 
having, you know, good clean equipment that's nice to operate, giving them breaks, caring about them as a person, you gotta really be firing all cylinders because everybody else who doesn't want to do that is just going to be paying more than you. And you can't compete with that if you're offering the same environment. And we're at a disadvantage because our work is overnight, outside, in the cold, dangerous, right? And so um, for snow companies specifically, I think that the need to be a great leader and provide a great workplace is more important than ever has been. That doesn't mean you have to pay the most. It doesn't mean that you have to coddle employees, but it does mean that you need to take some steps to help people and invest in them because that's what they want. They want learning and development opportunities. Yeah. That's always been a good philosophy, but the the pushback I've always heard was no one's going to pay for that. Like I can only charge so much. You're talking about adding a lot of cost to my business, but honestly, um, I don't know about your, um, I'd love to hear what you are seeing out there, but my clients are raising their prices. Yeah. Big, raise your prices time. then. And they're saying, you know what? I don't really care. You know, if I lose some low profit customers, they don't get it. Like, obviously I have, I have more costs. All my costs have gone up dramatically. We're, we haven't even talked about fuel, but you know, you add on all those those COVID related costs and just just everything you just mentioned and the thirty other things you didn't mention yet. Yeah, like those are real costs, and yeah, someone I... and someone has to bear them. You have to have a good financial model so you capture all that in your pricing model, and and your clients have to pay for it, and the well, reasonable ones will. Right. And, and, you know, the first step in that is know your numbers, because if you don't know your costs, then you don't know what you need to sell at. Um, and then you have to be unapologetic about it and have the balls to, to make those, those asks, right? Sometimes you can, you can change the dynamic um, and get yourself some more profit by changing the pricing model. We talked a lot about that at the forum for sales, right? How to get a hybrid contract model where there's more profit built in the client actually gets some benefits in terms of budgeting and, and cost protection uh, from winter extremes. And, and it's a real win-win. Um, but, you know, I'm in the process of building a house right now and nobody's apologizing for the fact that it's $60,000 mm -hmm. more than it was 12 months ago. Right. Yeah, exactly. It is, you know? Yeah. Everything you buy right now is extremely expensive. It is compared to a year ago or two years ago. So, you know, to sit there and go, ah, you know, my customers won't pay, you know, incrementally more. Yeah, they will. You know, <laughs> you, you can't be afraid of it. Whatever, whatever you believe your actions are going to follow. That's, that's what I think. But where, where are we going to get the people? Like, you know, well, if you need to hire 20 people or a hundred people or 200 people, like, what are you advising your clients to do, Neil? I'm advising them to go hire the people that nobody else wants or can hire. Right. So go do something good for the world and hire the people who are trying to make their lives better, but aren't allowed to get a job at a bank or that McDonald's doesn't want because they have they made some mistakes and they've got, um, you know, a history of, of drug use or criminal violence. But you know what? Our customers don't care. We're working in the middle of the night. We're working on, you know, outside of uh, almost all contracts. Right. Are working outside of secure areas. Um, they're not seen, they're not interacting with the public. They don't need a lot of these soft skills. My best employees ever, ever were actively in drug rehab programs, hmm. a three year long program, and they'd be two thirds of the way through. 
And they were so excited about all the positive change in their life. And we were able to help them earn some money. And we worked with the program organizers to make sure it was all, you know, holistic and wasn't interfering with their progress and it was controlled. And um, these guys, they had no choice, right? They weren't going to quit through a snowstorm because they've spent, they've spent 12, 24 months getting sober. This is just the next step in that process. They're not quitting and they never would. And we treated them well and they loved it. And so um, start talking to rehab programs, halfway houses, churches, homeless shelters, and you're going to have to do some extra work. Maybe these people don't have permanent addresses. Maybe, um, you know, all I ever asked is that they showed up clean and sober. And, and um, once or twice a season, I would get called into our HR manager's office and she'd be like, did you see this background check? And I'd be like, what, listen, like what, and, and um, I'll just give some more detail here. Right. So we wouldn't background check um, just a standard shoveler. Cause it was, they were, they were so transient. We didn't sure. know, you know, we were okay with that. That was our policy. Right. But as soon as you got promoted to any sort of leadership or you got the keys to a, a vehicle or a truck, then you fell into another category. You had to go through some additional checks. Makes right. Sense. And so um, I had a guy who had worked with us for three years and um, wanted to and was promoted based on his past performance. And then I got called up and they're like, hey, there's a problem with this background check. And, and he would have failed out of the system that we had in place for this management position he was up for. But I was like, I got to tell you, what you're seeing on paper from five and eight years ago is not at all the guy that we've seen from the past three years mm-hmm. and and that's his story and they all have that story but we've seen it and and he's been a model employee and everybody loves working with him and he shows up early and he stays late and all he's worked for and all we've provided for him is the opportunity to get to this level without because we didn't know this and now we know it why why are we going to hold that against him and and you know i was um I actively volunteer with an organization uh, that provides mentors for youth and foster care. And one rule of the whole program is we don't tell you, Neil, anything about this guy. Hmm. You show up, you mentor this kid, you don't get to know about their past. They may tell you something. It may be true. It may not be true, but you just have to love this person as a person. No preconceived notions. Clean slate. Yeah. And, and listen, I've had a lot of bad experiences, you know, I've had to escort people out. I've been threatened up and down. Sometimes I've actually been scared that those threats were true by people who have worked for me. But at the end of the day, uh, I've got kids who were convicted um, of serious stuff, real jobs who've made real positive change and, and who changed for the better. And you can't become jaded, you know, it's worth it at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And this is a population that is not employable by a lot of people they don't believe they're employable by a lot of people and if you can empower them and and teach them some self-respect by giving them respect man they'll work like crazy for you Mm -hmm. so they're out there go find them yeah and and i appreciate you kind of walking us through that neil i think that's a great approach i would encourage people to make that one of their prongs they need you need to have more than one prong for sure to do in, in fact, I would be surprised even if someone hit on the perfect, 
you know, situation that was in that area, you know, rehabilitation, restorative justice, um, that might not fill all your needs. No, it won't. You probably need more than one. And I, you know, I just, throughout my career, most, most of my career recruiting was not that difficult, but it, it's extremely difficult today and it's not going to change. All our demographics are going the wrong direction. Yep. So we have to recruit, we have to be a, a great, attractive employer. We have to recruit year round. Yep. Always be recruiting. And that involves everyone in your organization, not just a recruiter. Yeah. Um, and you need to do 10 things. Whereas in the past, you could just do one thing, whatever, yeah. whatever worked for you. You have to do all the above now, which, which there's a cost to it and a burden. And I, the employers who are doing this are actually doing really well. In the pay rate, you're absolutely right. You mentioned living wage. There's a tipping point. Whatever that tipping point is in your market, as soon as you get above that threshold, whatever it is, and I won't even throw a number out there because it's different in every single market. Once you hit that number, everything changes. Yeah. I, look, it's it's been you know really politicized, and I don't understand why it has been right. Um, and and I I don't care where you stand. Here's the reality: if you hire somebody to work for you forty hours a week, which is what most people work, and they can't afford the basics of housing and food and healthcare for their family that they're responsible for providing, whatever that situation is, why would they stick around? Yeah, it's temporary, but by design. It's that simple, (laughs) right? right? If I'm going to go work and I can't afford to live based on what I'm working for, whatever that means for my situation in my market, it's going to be different all over the country for everybody, then it's not enough. You just offered them a summer job. Yeah. So, so, you know, listen, we know that young, you know, kids who don't have a lot of dependents don't need as much as somebody who does, obviously, and that's going to be an opportunity, but it's still, it, it doesn't get away from the fact that you need enough. And in a lot of cases, minimum wage around the country is not enough to pay for that. Well, you hit on something else I think is really important and something I've been talking about with my clients for quite a while now is that. There's no perfect employee and there's no perfect no. applicant. And so everyone comes and that's probably always been the case, but it's even more, I think, uh, um, apparent these days because there's so few applic- applicants and there's so much pressure. Like we actually have somebody who's coming in for an interview and then when they don't show up or, or they don't, they show up and they're not perfect, you know, it's the end of the world because it's the only one, <laughs> you know, where, whereas, so there's so much investment in that one person. Um, cause that's all you got. But anyway, my point is, you know, people are flawed. People have made mistakes. Um, I mean, I've, when I look back, you know, when I was younger, I did a lot of stupid things. Um, you know, people make mistakes and sometimes they do really, really, you know, um, egregious things and they do have records, but even if they don't like, you know, your typical 20 year old or even a 30 year old today is, is number one, they're, in general, there's lots of exceptions to this. They're not all all that mature. Uh, they're not all that comfortable without mom and dad holding their hand. And you know, getting a job is a, is a is a big responsibility, and and that's an adult move. And a lot of these younger people are not really prepared yet for the world. So you can you can blame the parents, you can blame the schools, whatever. The reality is, the employer becomes 
the party who is going to take that person who's not fully formed, not fully ready for a job and help them be successful and, yeah. and walking them through and giving them some, some remedial training, giving them nine lives, lots of chances to do stupid things and make mistakes. And you know what? The, the first mistake was, um, I forgot about my interview mm-hmm. and so they didn't show up. Oh, they didn't show up because, you know, they're just terrible people. No, they no, they got cold feet or something happened or or something better came along. One of their friends came along and their friend was more important than the interview. And they thought jobs are a dime a dozen. I'll get another one tomorrow. So they don't call them back and go, hey, dude, you, uh, you know, miss your interview. Let's talk. They just write them off. That's a mistake because that person is still out there. Yeah, they're right. They're, they would still come to work for you, but they're not going to call you because now they're embarrassed. Yeah. And uh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I got, I've got a story about this. We were in the middle of a snowstorm. It was really significant. We needed everybody we could get. And, uh, I got a call from one of my site managers that one kid didn't show up. And I said, is he good on the job? Typically he said, yeah, I said, all right. So I called the kid and, um, his dad answered and his dad was like, what's going on? And I told, I told him. And, and I said, yeah, he goes, he's supposed to be at work right now. I go, yeah. He goes, oh, that's unacceptable. He goes, I'm going to get him right now. I'm going to drive him to the site. You call me when we're done and that's when I'll pick him up. And he hung up the phone. <laughs> and, and my site manager, you know, the 40 hammer. minutes later says the kid's dad just full on kicked him out of the car. I loved when the parents got involved because that's when shit happened. Well, in that scenario, for sure. All what. Well, I talked to so many people who are like, why is the parent involved? Man, get the parent involved. You're going to get a better result. I don't have a problem with the parent being involved. I'm, I'm just, just saying. saying that sometimes sometimes the parents are are um, coddling the kids. That's uh, all I'm saying, but not look, always. Look, get the parent involved, right? If you have a good working opportunity and a good work condition, then they're not going to hold anything about against you. If you and, and if you treat your people like crap, then they should coddle a kid from you. You don't deserve to have an employee if you treat him like crap. The whole game changed, Phil. And and granted, I don't think 2017 was quite as bad as 2021 when it comes to hiring and retaining employees. So I understand it's not exactly the same when I was doing it. But when I was hiring uh, a thousand shovelers in 2017, I changed the game. Because I interviewed my managers, I found out which managers did things well and which managers did things poorly. And I started to observe some trends. And one trend that I found out is the managers who cared about their people and treated them well just had better numbers across the board. They had better retention. They had better profitability. Everything was better. Absolutely. And so I told my managers, if one of your shovelers complains to me that you treated them like shit, then I'm going to fire you. And the whole game changed. <laughs> the whole game changed. I was like, I'll pay for you to call them. I want you to know their birthdays. I want you to know their kids. I want you to know their siblings. I want you to know their hobbies. Get to know them personally. Take care of them. And I'm going to go into that room with all of them right now. And I'm going to say, we care about you. And if you don't feel like you're cared about as a person because of these people up front, you tell me and I'll make sure it's not a problem. Yeah, we're saying the same thing. So and the whole just, game changed. Just, just, just so I'm clear here, <laughs> I agree. And and what you did there is you you took that burden, you flipped it, you you put the burden on the employer, 
on a manager to provide the environment so the, so the kid could be successful in that environment. And my managers were paid for their time and they learned, they, we gave them tools to do it and they loved it because they didn't have to show up with, they weren't out there shoveling anymore because they had their shovelers showing up. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Um, we could probably spend hours and hours talking about labor. Um, let's jump over to equipment real quick. I've, uh, you know, our most recent podcast was with John Jaynes from Caterpillar and he was really talking about global supply chain issues that are, you know, with, with steel and just with, with shipping and, you know, we're in a global economy. So, so when you have a year where basically all manufacturing stopped, it's going to take a long time to get everything back in place. Yeah. And so, um, what I'm hearing right now is really like, if you haven't ordered something or already have it in your hands, like you may not get it before mm -hmm. winter because there's not much out there mm -hmm. and there's, there's a shortage of even used equipment. Mm -hmm. Uh, someone was telling me someone on the East coast here in the U S was saying they fly to the Midwest and pick up used equipment that was brought over from some dealer in the Midwest from Europe. <laughs> and that's how they're getting equipment. Like, yeah. That's crazy. It is crazy. But that's all, that's the only way they can get equipment is so through some crazy, you know, fourth party back channel. Yeah. <laughs> a friend of a friend. Yeah. Somebody you met in the alley. I don't even know where, what the relationships were, but I mean, it's a, it's a dire situation we're in right now. So just to me, the takeaway there is, boy, you got to plan ahead. Like you got to be real strategic and you got to get way out ahead of the season. You can't just the days of, oh, well, you know, it's, it's, you know, we go to symposium and then we start thinking about snow, like you're screwed. Yeah. You, you know, the other thing too, though, Phil, is that, um, like anything, it's who, you know, right. And uh, I think that one of the things that's exciting about the events we've been having with snow fighters is attendees are getting an opportunity to know the right people. And uh, for anybody in the Northeast, you know, Milton cat, they're the cat dealer for all of new England, except for Connecticut um, and upstate New York. And uh, we're meeting at their headquarters. You're going right. to meet some heavy hitters. You're going to get a factory tour with the people who decide who gets the equipment, who doesn't, because all the requests come Good in point. and they're saying yes and no to people. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not saying you can get to the front of the line, but I'm saying you can just, you can meet the people who are deciding who gets it and who doesn't um, in early September. And that's a big leg up than just putting an inquiry on the website. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Cause um, you know, we've had two events, you know, we didn't have any events, live events, like we talked about last year, it was podcast and virtual this year. We've had two events. We've had both of them were, were sold out. They were um, I, I thought they were phenomenal events. Our feedback, Neil was incredible. Like we did a very extensive pre-event survey for all of our attendees. So we really had a good, very specific understanding on a whole bunch of points about what they wanted to hone in on. In addition to the agenda we already had already put together, but then on the back end, we did some other pretty extensive surveying and the, the feedback was phenomenal for both events. Yeah. We, we had uh 45 or so people that we asked the question on a scale from one to 10, how likely are you going, uh, how likely are you to recommend Snowfires Institute to a, a friend or colleague? One person said eight out of 10 and everybody else said nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10. 
and more than two thirds of people said that it met uh, exceeded their expectations. Not a single person said it didn't meet their expectations. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just to recap, we had the inner circle event um, at the vent track world headquarters in Oroville, Ohio. Yep. And we had our forum for sales event at the snow X world headquarters in Michigan outside mm -hmm. Metro Detroit. And, um, so you mentioned, um, let's talk a little bit about this event coming up. You mentioned our, our event at Milton cat. So this is focused on operations. It's our, um, grounds and institutional management. That's a big, uh, convoluted phrase there. Neil, what does that mean? Tell us well, what that means. So this is, this is for operations for people who are managing in the field stuff and, uh, colleges and universities, major corporate headquarters. Um, we've even had uh, governmental employees show up before um, who do snow removal. Um, they need a detailed plan to attack these things. You know, when you're doing a site where you've got dozens of machines and, and hundreds of people running around on your call lists, you can't just show up and push the snow, not even close. Um, and so, uh, it's, it really attacks both of those, whether you have a big, large, uh, single site operation, something we'd call an institutional, uh, uh, ground scenario, or you have an operation with so many moving pieces between lots of sites and you have to consider some additional things like mobilization and cycle time. Um, this is the event for you. Yeah. We're going to be talking about, you know, all things related to operations. So that includes labor. Um, people, the people side of it, it's going to be a big part of that conversation. Um, but site engineering equipment, yep. you know, um, all, everything related to operations, pre-event, during event, post event. Um, I know that's, that's material I'm, I'm super excited to present. Um, I'm actually recording some of that material for grow the bench as well, which will have a different little twist on it, but, um. But and, no, it's going to be a great event. And, you know, if you haven't been ever to a Caterpillar facility, these are these are first class uh, facilities that are really well put together and a great hosts. And well, I, I, gotta, I think this is going to be a great event. Th this is in my backyard and I've been to Milton Katz headquarters uh, numerous times. I recorded our equipment management course there and it is unlike any other cat dealer I've ever been to. It, it is their central warehouse for all of their parts. Every single day, they're shipping trucks from to Maine to upstate New York, uh, all over the place from this single place. They have 99% of every cat part ever made for every cat machine ever made available within 24 hours. Yeah, that's insane. And it is wild they've got robots moving parts around they've got this distribution system that is unbelievable they have um a room that is bigger than most snowplow company shops that is just filled with drawers for part uh, for for washers and bolts and gaskets it's just all the it little is, stuff it is unbelievable and it's all electronic it's all set up by barcodes and when we bring people through the tour there, they bring people through the tour there that I've been on uh, probably a dozen times. Um, people don't even realize the reliability that they have. They have the entire um, uh, field uh, fleet uh, service techs that go out in their trucks and fix stuff on site. Mm -hmm. You can order things online and self pick it up. Um, 
uh, their hours are crazy. They're open from like five in the morning till nine at yeah, night or something. Like calendar right there. It is so cool. Um, such a big facility, such a phenomenal facility. And then out, outdoors, God, there's hundreds, if not thousands of machines that we can get stick time on to go demo out in their demo area. Um, if you're into equipment at all, if you're into Caterpillar at all, this is one of the top Caterpillar experiences in the whole country. Yeah, we're kind of used to that now with Amazon. You know, you order something, it shows up an hour later. Like, what was it, sitting down at the end of the street waiting for me? Like, how did they know I was going to order? You know, but, I mean, this this well, and, big cat and, dealers like Milton have been doing this, like, you know, you order something, you know, you're a, you need a snowplow part and you get it at 5 a.m. the next day sitting at your shop. That's insane. And you're, I, you know, three states away. Like, they were doing that 15 years ago. Yeah, and by the way, while Amazon can do that for every single thing I need in my house, none of my equipment manufacturers have figured it out besides Milton cat. Right. right? So exactly. it's right. still game changing in that world for sure. Right. For sure. For sure. Well, so Neil, just um, shameless plug here for uh, snow fighters grounds and institutional management. What are the dates? How do people register? Um, where is this place? How do we get there? Yeah, so it's at uh, Milton Cats uh, location in Milford, Massachusetts. So it's about 45 minutes from Boston, about 45 minutes from Providence, and actually only about an hour from Hartford, Connecticut. Um, it is uh, Wednesday and Thursday, September 8th and 9th. And you can learn all the details on snowfightersinstitute.com. And that's where you can register as well. But uh, we are very closely approaching our capacity for this event. Um, so if, uh, you're at all interested, um, hop on and register right away. If you are considering it, call us right away and let's talk about it so we can set aside a spot for you, uh, while you consider it, because, uh, I am, I'm very concerned that we're going to have more interest than, than spots available because we're still dealing with some health and safety, uh, capacity limits here. Yeah, I would agree. And you know, that's a good point, Neil. One of one of the things we don't want at these events is 200 people there. We want them to be really good networking events where, you know, everyone, every attendee has an opportunity to rub shoulders with all the other attendees at some point over a lunch or over dinner or out for drinks. Like, you know, you get, you get too big and it just fractures into little groups and you lose everybody. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think the numbers have been really good that we've had. And I think I just want to stay right there. Yeah, that's that's the same feedback we've gotten. And uh, like I said, I was talking with an alumni this morning who was at um, both of the events, actually, uh, that we've done so far. And he's like, I'm, I'm talking with these guys all the time. And and we've made great friendships and, and we're colleagues and we're sharing information. And um, that's that's one of the highlights for a lot of people, too. So it's not just about what you learn. It's, it's who you get to meet. And, uh, they're usually from all over the country. Yeah, for sure. Well, what else, Neil, anything else that we didn't talk about here? We should touch on before we wrap. Um, I mean, you know me, I can talk about snow for a, <laughs> a week straight, but, uh, what are you hearing about materials? I, like I said, I haven't heard much about it. Have you heard anything about it's, material shortages? It's, it's iffy. Um, you know, the whole thing with material pipeline is has always been that they always have enough on the ground for a little bit of time. Um, and then depending on the frequency and the size of events uh, that can dry up really quick. Right. So 
can't remember if it was, I think it was last year for a lot of the country. They're like, yeah, we're great on materials. Everything's fully stocked, overstocked, and then very busy winter. And and within a month, it was like, we can't get material. We're all screwed. <laughs> you know, it's all gone. And, yeah. And, you know, some people know this, but not everyone knows it. What happens is if you have a heavy winter, heavy beginning part of the winter, the, all the governmental agencies take all the supply. Right. They, and they, and so every, all the private contract, all the private contractors in the U.S. combined make up 10% of the market. Right. 90% of the market is governmental. So, you know, collectively, every single private contractor together is meaningless to, <laughs> to, to these right. big salt suppliers. Yeah. So I haven't heard concerns yet. Um, but given everything I've read about global shipping and supply, I would not expect uh, replenishment of materials to go very smoothly this winter. And uh, what I always encourage contractors to do, if you have the ability, is pre-buy as much as you, you need and find a place to store it where you're in control of that pile. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, beg, borrow, or steal to make that happen at an affordable rate because trying to rely on other people's inventory management is just not a great strategy for success when we've had the volatility of winter that we've had. Yeah. I've seen people in this industry have two years of supply on hand of yeah. salt, bulk salt. And I can only imagine the cost because this is not a small pile I'm talking about. I'm talking about a facility. Oh, that's next year's supply. This is this year's supply over here in this in this other facility. That's a cost. That's an investment. But man, that's peace of mind right there. Yeah. And, you know, for a lot of people listening, maybe that's not you. You don't have the space or the, the cash right. to make that happen. I get that. Been there. What I would say instead is network like crazy. I would have primary suppliers and secondary suppliers and treasury suppliers and, and as many people as you can. And um, when I used to go to these shows or talk with people, I'd say, hey, who's your salt guy? Do they do, do they do like side deals? Do they ship around the country? And um, there's a few guys out there and I got to know them and I never did any business with one of these guys for like three years that I had his number in my phone. But when I needed to do business, I called him up and he got me a deal that I would say was very fair given the circumstance. And they got a salt that I desperately needed so fast. It was crazy. And, and you know, they were trucking um, 80 tractor trailer loads three hours away from me, but they made it happen. Mm -hmm. And this stuff showed up like, like I, I, you know, just a row of ants marching on truck yeah. after truck, after truck, after truck. And they had the right connections to make the deal happen at the moment in time. They could never be competitive enough to be my main supplier. Um, but, you know, we just agreed like, Hey, I'll gladly pay you what I need to pay you when we have to pay you. And they were cool with that. So um, just diversify your options, build that network out. And uh, that's how I had success when, you know, we didn't maintain a ton of salt. I think, I think the most salt that I ever personally had on hand was like less than 5,000 tons. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we we're doing 25, 30 million worth of snow at that point. So yeah, the professional networking is key. Um, throughout my whole career, I've I've always been someone that sought networking opportunities and developed a network, and and you just really have to make that commitment and do that. So going to industry events, whether it's snow fighters, if you can get out to our event, 
um, or events next year. Um, even some of the online workshops, like we, we do our best to help people get to know each other and, and create, um, you know, connections, but man, if you can join a peer group or if you can just plug into some of the other industry events out there, there's lots of them. Um, man, I encourage you to do that because you're so right. Having people you can call. And I've always seen people in, in the snow industry. I don't know what it is about the snow industry. I've heard this from lots and lots of people that it's, it's incredible how willing people are to share and give up things that they've maybe spent half their career building and they're just happy to give it away to the new guy because they don't, just just for the sake of helping somebody else i think it's so cool yeah i you know i've curated um quite a network on linkedin of people who i i know and like and who do things the right way in this industry and i had a guy call me the other day and said hey who do you know for um companies we may be able to partner with this winter and i was like oh let's check my linkedin and i fired it up and i typed in the the city and i was like I got six pages of results here Mm -hmm. of people that you can call that are in your service area. And I'm like, who do you like, why don't you just look on my LinkedIn through all my thousands and thousands of connections? It's a great point. And tell me who you want me to introduce you to. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy to make that introduction for you anytime. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, Neil, I appreciate it. Like, like you said, we could go on forever, but let's go ahead and wrap um, hopefully, um, we'll see some of our listeners here this fall here, actually next month, next month. Uh, yeah. Up in new England, fall in new England. It's a beautiful thing. It is add a, a couple extra here. days on and go see some, something cool, but, um, or, or hit us up on one of the, um, workshops we'll be having this fall and we need to get those scheduled, Neil, those boot camps again. Yeah. Those were real successful and, uh, yeah, it was good to catch up with you. We'll be talking soon. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Yep. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Snowfighters Institute podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, become a subscriber today so you won't miss any future episodes. And don't forget to check out our upcoming events at snowfightersinstitute.com. Now go forth.